What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint. Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. NASA 557, contact tower 128.15. Caution, caution, manual, fuel, manual, fuel. I'm John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Curtis. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Abemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, hello, Todd. Well, hello once again. It looks like you and I together again. Greg is still jet-setting around the world. I do hope he's not getting jealous at all the time we're spending together, especially the really good uh, events that we get a chance to look at. Yeah, yes. Yes, all the instruction we're getting on what not to do. So <laughs> well, this this I was... I listening, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Refresh my, my pilot's license. <laughs> While we're on that subject, what have, have you noticed any difference between your instructor out there in California and, and the instructor that you had here in, in Boston? Well, I think the biggest difference is just the ability to uh, get things done out here because when I was dealing with my instructor back in Boston, because of the number of aircraft available at that particular uh, aero club I was a part of, there was a limited number of aircraft uh, that I could fly in. That wasn't a big problem. The bigger problem was uh, getting ancillary services to help me with my flying. The one uh, ground simulator I was using to hone my skills and practice some uh, discipline on the G1000 uh, was, well, let me back up a little bit. There was one simulator company I was using. They had a steam gauge aircraft, and I was trying to learn how to fly the G1000. And really, the only time I had to practice in a real uh, situation, realistic situation, was in the actual aircraft. Now, out in California, I happen to be in a situation where I have plenty of opportunity not only to fly G1000 Cessna 172s, but to use simulators that are G1000 simulators. So I can get used to the rhythm of how I have to do certain procedures, what buttons to hit, how to do so quickly. So, you know, even with the same instructor, I would have a much easier time learning things, a much quicker time learning things when it comes to this aircraft because of the resources I have here locally. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to talk about some folks that should have used their brains 
folks um, who I might add had all the resources available to them to do so. Yes. All right. So we're going to talk about an airplane that crashed in, in Western Pennsylvania. It was a flight that originated in, in uh, Westchester County, HBN, New York, White Plains, and heading to Ank Akron. Uh, two pilots on board, the captain and the owner of the airplane, had in excess of 2,500 hours in type on the airplane. And the passenger, who was uh, 10 years younger, 55, uh, was also a rated pilot, CFI. Uh, they were both very, very experienced people. And I think this is going to, what we've uncovered is a little different than what the NTSB had uh, in as much as we dug a little deeper in, into uh, who they were at the time of day and all of that. And we'll get into that in a minute. So, Todd, you want to just run down the facts and we'll pick it up from there? Uh, certainly. This was uh, uh, on November 24, 2021, coincidentally, the day before Thanksgiving. And let me just add that uh, there's nothing in the report of the public docket that stated this was a Thanksgiving-related event. That is, this wasn't a family flying in their airplane. There was no indication that the pilot or the passenger were hurrying back to Akron to be there in time for Thanksgiving. But the fact is, had the flight gone as planned, it would have landed back in Akron before sunset, would have had a good night's sleep before Thanksgiving. But more importantly, um, this was a, a Cessna 210, one where John said the owner was the uh, person who had flown 500 hours in this aircraft and well over, what was it, 2,000 hours in this type of aircraft, very experienced. The pilot-rated passenger, who according to the NTSB was also a mechanic, had about 6,000 hours in all kinds of aircraft. So experience level, extremely high. The first flight of the day was, and this is from information outside of what was in the NTSB, we did further investigation uh, from other sources. The pilot apparently had flown from Anchorage, excuse me, Akron, Ohio, earlier that day and was leaving from White Plains back to Akron about 2.15 in the afternoon. Given when sunset was happening that time of day, we estimate that had there been no issues with the return flight, they would have landed before sunset. There was an issue after they took off from White Plains, about a couple hours in, they lost the oil. And they lost about six quarts of oil, landed, put the oil back in the aircraft. And according to witnesses on the ground, not only did they not do a run-up before taking off again, shortly after takeoff, within earshot of the airport, at least one witness heard unusual sounds coming from the engine. The crew, the, the pilot and the passenger, pressed on, and about 15 minutes later, the engine quit on them, and they crashed in a wooded area at night, and neither one of them survived. So looking at this, we ask ourselves, what's going on here? Why would a person who apparently is extremely experienced with this particular aircraft, flying with someone who's even more experienced in all kinds of aircraft, and allegedly, not allegedly, according to the NTSB, also a mechanic, why would they do things that don't make a lot of sense when it comes to an in-the-field repair? And John, you and I were talking before the show. You know, if you were in an aircraft like this and you had lost all the oil, what would be your process for dealing with this before you put that airplane back in the air? Well, the first thing, when I got out of the airplane, I, I would see that the airplane was covered with oil. So I would know I had a substantial leak. So he said two and a half hours 
from White Plains, roughly, at this point in time when he landed. So he's he's eaten up all his oil. He knew that he had fluctuation, he had a problem with oil pressure. So that's cavitation of the pump. And so they, he's, he's pumping in, not oil, into a running engine. Uh, you know, so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to open the cowling. Maybe even lift it right off the airplane to look and see what the source of the leak was. Uh, he thought it was a loose oil cap. It sounded like he never cracked the, the tin. He never opened it up. Had he opened it up in plain view with two crank at place bolts that had their nuts missing. You know, so if he had done as mechanics, they would have looked at all that, that uh, physical evidence of the engine and spied that. And that would have stopped the trip right there and then. But no, it's every indication is they didn't do any kind of visual inspection on the airplane. They assumed the engine didn't seize. So they assumed it was still running fine. Uh, you know, you get fluctuating oil pressure, you got bearing problems pretty quickly like that. Uh, you know, you don't have enough oil to do the job. So that they should have stopped right there and then. Just throwing six quarts of oil in it. Why did they assume the cap was loose? Uh, did they find it loose? Uh, which would indicate the last time it was serviced. Was it serviced in White Plains? Unanswered question. Uh, that's not a home base. It's not likely that they check the oil in in uh, Westchester. So his assumption would be wrong that the cap was the source of oil leak because coming from Akron earlier in the day, he would have had the oil leak. So there's something that doesn't jive right there. You know, if they if they had serviced the oil in Akron in uh, Westchester County, there should have been a record of that. And that doesn't appear in the records, so it looks like it looks like this whole trip was a race to get it done. And and all of a sudden, they have an obstacle, and they get tunnel vision, throw oil in it, keep on going. We'll deal with it on the other end. And you know that's not the way to behave. And I want to read verbatim from the accident report, which will be linked to the uh, webpage for the site. It illustrate, you know, there were things obvious to people outside. I said earlier that someone heard uh, odd noises coming from it. Here's a specific passage in the accident report. During the subsequent engine start, one of the witnesses, who was a helicopter mechanic, heard the engine, airplane's engine making, quote, abnormal cracking and popping, unquote, noises. The pilot taxis to the end of the runway and departed without performing an engine run-up. I haven't been in the same situation as these pilots, but if I had to have maintenance done on an aircraft, even minor maintenance, at some airport, not my home airport, and I had to fly back, I would at the very least go through the same process I would do at the beginning of the day. Go through an entire checklist from top to bottom, do an engine run-up, do it like I would for the first flight of the day, and then take off. By not doing this for whatever reason, they did not give themselves the opportunity to take a step back and maybe look closer at what they did before they get into the air. Yeah, it seems like a big rush, a rush to get back in the air, rush to get back Thanksgiving evening. I'm surprised the NTSB didn't reckon, didn't say that. And I think the uh, NTSB blamed oil loss here, but I don't think that should be the primary cause. 
I think decision making in this case is the primary cause. It's it's nothing but poor decision on the part of this crew uh, to keep on going. Well, let, let's read verbatim the NTSB's probable cause and findings and discuss why we have an issue with it. Probable cause and findings. The National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable cause of this act or causes of this accident to be a catastrophic engine failure due to oil starvation after the pilot's failure to secure the oil filter cap, filler cap before the flight. Contributing to the accident was the pilot's decision to continue the flight following the oil loss event and precautionary landing. I looked at that and I thought, they got it backwards. It's the pilot's decision making that caused this. Because mechanical difficulties, losing oil, losing a system, repairing something at a, you know, an airport, not at your destination, that's a abnormal situation, but it doesn't cause an accident. It's what you do before or after that that was key here. A reasonable person, or at least the two of us sitting in a comfortable chair and talking on Zoom, would look at this situation and say, hey, I would have done things differently. At least I would have taken more time to investigate the engine or taking more time to check out the airplane and run up the engine before taking off. These folks didn't. Either one of those things might have uncovered a problem before they took off. And even if, even though they didn't do that, there was audible funny noises coming from the engine that a helicopter pilot nearby recognizes unusual. There was a mechanic on board who apparently didn't recognize it was unusual and they took off anyway. So, I mean, yeah. John, how would you rewrite this to really state for the record accurately what the cause was? Well, if I was sitting on the board and staff brought this up to me on the board, and I would put a pause right on it. Hold it. This, the, it is a catastrophic engine failure due to poor decision making on the part of the pilot to just add oil after a substantial loss of oil without investigating further. Contributing to the accident was, and I would say the oil starvation and, and precautionary landing, right? It, I, and I would say it was a precautionary landing, but after they saw all the oil loss, that changes the game. You know, we they actually say in the report, the airplane was covered with oil from the front end to the back end. That's, you know, that's not a, a dripping leak. That's a running leak. Right? So you need to at least find the source of it. After you put the oil in, the, you have to run the engine to see where, you know, where the oil was coming from. To assume it came from a cap, even if you found the cap laying in the cow, in the, in the, uh, within the confines of the engine fill, even if you found the cap there laying there, still, run the engine and make sure that was the source of the loss of oil and do an inspection on the engine. We know that there was some pre-existing damage to the engine from through bolts out of the crankcase, missing their nuts. That didn't happen at impact. So we know that there was something else going on and then maybe there was that was leaking because those if those two were together side by side, they're most likely then going to cause some leaking. So, I mean, it's just so many things that they did wrong. The decision-making had to be in a higher place than what they put it. Now, what I'm saying next is pure speculation, but it's reasonable speculation. 
This event happened the day before Thanksgiving. And for those of you who are uh, not from the United States, uh, the day before Thanksgiving is the busiest travel day of the entire year. Road, rail, airplane, you name it. They were only about an hour and a half, two hours drive from their destination. Reasonably, you think, okay, your plane's having problems. Call a taxi, call an Uber, you know, go to a rental company and get a car to go home. There might not have been any available cars or any other alternative transportation that late in the day to go the last 90 miles or so to their destination. So I don't know if this figured into their decision-making. I don't know if this was an issue, but given it's the day before Thanksgiving, I would have at least addressed the question if I were investigating this or you know, if they asked my opinion as to what to look for as to why these uh, this pilot and his very experienced passenger made a series of decisions that did not make sense given their experience and credentials. I mean, $2,500 flying an airplane, one guy, 6000 the other. I mean, it just, there's no logic. There's no, no, a total absence of common sense on the part of both of those individuals. So all of you out there that are pilots that listen to us, pay attention. You know, oil leaks don't just happen. There's a reason. You find an oil puddle up on your airplane, don't go anywhere until you find out what, what it's all about. You know, and that means opening the collar and getting somebody that knows what they're looking at to look at the engine. Make sure you know what know what condition it is in. And then not to take to take off and not run the engine after loss of oil. It's just beyond me. They should have been in position. They should have run that engine for 10 minutes or so. And with the cowling off and with an eye towards any oil leaks. And so, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I'm up for a loss of words here because it just doesn't make sense, especially if it's true that that second person on the airplane was a mechanic as well as a pilot. Uh, that just, it just blows me away. Well, I think we've talked this to death frustrated us to death. So, Todd, I'll let you have the last word. Well, given the total situation we have here, the apparent uh, decision-making uh, faults of the people on board, the situation they were in with respect to being close to home, but during a travel day where it might have been difficult to get home through any other means, this uh, just makes me remind people that if you're planning to do something with your airplane, where everything has to go right. You're doing a round trip on the day before Thanksgiving when everything, everybody's trying to travel. Anything that goes wrong with your planning could upset the entire process. Plan for things to happen. Plan for unexpected uh, delays. Plan for what are you gonna do if you land at a remote airport and there are no cars to be had and maybe even no hotels to stay, stay in. And then say to yourself, Given the potential downsides to something going wrong, should I take this trip? And even more important, if I'm in the middle of a trip and something goes wrong, what should I do that will give me the best chance of protecting the lives of everybody on board this aircraft? Good advice. Good advice. And I'll do my last bit again. And... Uh, because we see so much of this 
If you're going to go flying, do your pre-planning at least twice, once before you go to the airport, and then do it again at the airport. When you get out to your airplane, do a thorough pre-flight. Again, if there's any oil drips on the ground, explore them. Don't just say, oh, it's dripping oil. And after you get in the air, put that head on a swivel because there's still a lot of inexperienced pilots out there. And please, please fly safely. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube, we're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that, and we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe. What makes a Carnival Cruise fun? A picture-perfect beach day in Cozumel or a tropical adventure to Mayan ruins with snorkel excursion for good measure. A delectable surf and turf at sea topped off with craft cocktails at Alchemy Bar. Now... Get some Z's. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Why? Because no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama.